From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Today in studio, we'll talk about the firefly with Paul Hartfield from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. The weather's warmer and these bioluminescent creatures are lighting up the night sky. We'll talk about why they're putting on their light show and where the best place to see them is. Also, Dr. Major is on hand to answer your pet questions. Join our conversation this morning with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email the show, animals, at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, has not made it into the studio as yet. Sometimes there are some traffic issues, so hopefully he will be here before the end of the hour. We do have a guest in studio today. We're going to talk this hour uh, with Paul Hartfield from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service about fireflies. The weather's warmer, and these bioluminescent creatures are lighting up the night sky. We'll talk about why they're putting on the light show and where the best place to find them is. And as I said, if Dr. Major makes it in, he can answer your pet questions as well. Join the conversation with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 Or you can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you that if you miss part of Creature Comforts on Thursday, you can catch a rebroadcast of the show every Saturday morning at 6. So, uh, good morning to everyone. Hope uh, we're all doing well this morning. Morning. Good morning. So, just curious now, I, I, I wonder if anybody, uh, you know, the big thing yesterday that lit up the Internet and even made it to both NPR and the network news was the whole Yanni versus Laurel thing. So, do I, I haven't listened to it yet. Okay. Have you? Are I you did. Will, are you, which, what did you hear? Well, oddly enough, I heard both. The first time I listened to it, I... It was Laurel. Uh, actually, the first time I listened to it, the, I thought it was like, yeah, Laurel. But then it was like, Laurel, 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 Laurel. So I was with the Laurel crowd. Well, then uh-huh. later in the day, I heard it again, and I swear I thought I heard Yanni. So, How do they do that? The, but then I never understood the, the red, the red the the, dress. The, the blue yeah. gold dress either. That's, I posted that on Facebook the other day. It was like, Laurel wore the white and gold dress, and Yanni's wearing oh, the black and you. blue dress. Okay, I read that. Yeah. But there, there, um, must, there must be some... Uh, Connection to alien DNA. <laughs> <I think. laughs> the chubacabra and the uh, Black Panther work in there as well, uh, somewhat as well. But uh, we hear what we want to hear, and we see what we want to see. And that's, I think, that's part of the explanation that I heard. And also, uh, I read online that it was a high school student that had recorded one of the online dictionaries saying the word Laurel. Uh, but uh, the other thing I thought was interesting was I wonder if it had been any different instead of someone saying, do you hear Laurel or Yanni on this thing, had just said, what do you hear? Do you, yeah. uh, but it was interesting because, like I said, it, 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 to me it was even more of a, 
of a big deal than the dress was because, like I said, NPR had it on yesterday, and I think the uh, mm-hmm. a- ABC Network News might have as well. So it certainly had everyone uh, a buzz yesterday. So um, well, I'll have to go back and listen. I just... But yeah, from what I heard. Uh, it, it is actually Laurel, so I, I pride myself on being in the right crowd, although I said I heard both, so I guess I was covering my bases both ways. So, uh, Libby, any events that you want to talk oh, about? Oh, I've got a, yeah, a good one. Okay. Saturday, I guess it's 9 o'clock, Ripley's Believe It or Not exhibit is opening at the Museum of Natural Science, okay. and it's evidently, everybody's all excited about it. You know, I don't get to see the previews anymore, and I haven't been in there. I guess I could if I dropped in and... Big, but uh, so soon we will all get to see the Ripley's Believe It or Not exhibit. And evidently, it's very large and lots of fun, and has been circulating around the country to good reviews. So, you need to plan some time to go see it. You know, and that one, I think all of them are are family friendly, but that one especially because you know Ripley's Believe It or Not has been around you know since I was a kid. So that's something I think that every uh, age uh, person would would find some f- interesting stuff on. So. Uh, Dr. Major, anything uh, going on in the pet world, maybe at the clinic? <clears throat> Business as usual, really. It's, it's been real busy. We have, you know, the usual number of uh, fights, <laughs> uh, broken bones, uh, and just routine stuff. So it hadn't been anything too dramatic uh, at this point. But you never know from day to day what's going to happen. And, you know, we had a, a early taste of, of mid-July weather this last week or so. Um, so always like to remind folks about the pets, especially if they have a pet that they, you know, stays outdoor uh, most of the day. What are some things that they need to keep in mind to make sure that they're, uh, they're healthy and safe? Well, our pets are kind of like we are. You know, it's kind of like one of those things where we're not used to the heat and humidity right now that we've had. I think it's been about seven or eight degrees above uh, normal for this time, <clears throat> for this time of year, uh, make sure you have plenty of water. Don't overdo playing and exercise. And if your dog's out in the yard uh, during the day without anyone there, make sure they've got shade, water, and uh, just use common sense. Don't don't do these three or four or five mile runs with your dog if they're not used to it. Got to ease into it. But, and yeah. so maybe that is sort of a blessing in disguise. We get a little taste of it. So when the real brutal weather does uh, ro- roll around in, in midsummer, maybe we'll be a little bit better prepared for it. Right. So we're going to be talking about fireflies today. And that's uh, also Dr. Major here ready to answer some pet questions. And we always like to hear your brushes with wildlife, as it were. So give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. So our guest in studio is Paul Hartfield of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Paul, always good to see you. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your background and and your work with the Fish and Wildlife Service. I'm an endangered species biologist with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Okay. I've been working there since 1990, I believe. And uh, Specialize. I'm an invertebrate biologist, but in the last few years, I've been pulled over into the fish and bird world. I work uh, uh, m- mainly in the Mississippi River. Okay. But fireflies, this is something Libby and I got into, as y'all well know, because this is our third or fourth year here. Mm-hmm. Third year, I think. Yeah. So this is a joint presentation here between me and Libby, because she knows as much or more than I do, because we've been walking down this road together. So um, what exactly is a firefly? It's a beetle. It's okay. not a fly. And it's not a lightning bug. You know, they call fireflies and lightning bugs. It's not a bug. 
uh, true bugs are in the um, order Hemiptera. It's not a fly, which are in the order Diptera. This is actually a beetle, which is in the order Coleoptera. Uh, there's about 2,000 species worldwide, Libby, I believe. Yeah, we've got um, about 125 species here in North America. Maybe more, because they really haven't been studied that hard because they don't bite, they don't sting, they don't uh, eat. They're not agricultural pests. They're not house pests. So very little is really known about them. Uh, I think, what does Lynn Files say? They're just something that we can just sit back and enjoy so science doesn't spend a lot of money on enjoyment. But um, anyway, we got in Mississippi, we don't know yet how many species. Libby and I think we'll probably hit about 40 or 50 hmm. if we're lucky. Um, just this spring, we've seen, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We've seen about eight different species uh, around our house and environs. So it's um, it's really been a lot of fun. This year, they started in February with what we call treetops and some people call flash bulbs. They came out in that, if you all remember that warm spell we had in February, uh, suddenly there were little flashes of lights, like little light, like little flash bulbs going off. Mm -hmm. Of course, kids won't know what that is because they didn't have cameras with flash bulbs. <laughs> but... We we can tell them about it. Yeah, we can tell them about it. Ask your granddaddy. Um, anyway, they were out for a couple of weeks, and then the weather turned cold again, and they disappeared. Uh, I believe we saw them around our place. I think you, you could see those pretty much anywhere. They stay out for quite a while. And they come out early in the evening. Early, so Well, well not, I mean, not terribly early, yeah. but early enough that you, it's... Yeah, they start early, but they'll go till good and dark. Um, they started really in earnest again about... Two or three weeks ago, I think we started seeing them again. Late late April, I guess. And even though it was plenty warm, I'm sure they were out, but just around our house, we didn't see them. And then uh, about two weeks ago, they really were going strong. And now you can see them pretty much anywhere. Look up in the trees and toward the treetops, and you'll see a, a just a really quick flash. And they have a bright lantern, so you can, you know, even if you've got a, a light on you might be able to see but it's much better if you'll cut off your Get outdoor your lights yeah. and actually here's an email that we got a couple weeks ago Good. two thursdays ago uh from gail who says that she saw one firefly in her front yard adjacent to gulf hills golf course in ocean springs last night uh, so last this would have been monday night april 30th so late april uh sightings of them uh in uh, the on the mississippi gulf coast so yeah. Uh, Gail, or uh, thanks for sending that in. Um, are there a lot of flying beetles? Oh yeah, all beetles. Pretty much, almost all beetles fly. There is a, a family I think that's non that doesn't fly. They're wingless beetles, and probably there's there's species within the various families that that also don't fly. Beetles are incredible. Uh, what was it? Um, God loved beetles so much. <laughs> Yeah, it go, I think he said what God had an inordinate affection fondness. for fondness for beetles. <laughs> he made so many. There beetles. are thousands and thousands, and it's kind of also the group that's growing the fastest. 
if a biologist really wants to find a new genera, I mean, find a new um, species, that's really what you ought to do is Become study beetles. Become a coleopterist. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and you could name it after yourself that way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we need to take our first break this hour. When we get back, we'll continue our firefly discussion with our guest, Paul Hartfield from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Dr. Major is here also uh, ready to take your pet questions. So give us a call because our phone lines are now open. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more after this. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're talking fireflies today with Paul Hartfield of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. The phone lines are open, so if you have a firefly question or if you'd like to report that you've seen some in your area, give us a call if you need a pet question answered or if you want to just tell us what you've seen when you've been out and about in the great state of Mississippi. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show. It's animals at mpbonline.org. In fact, we do have an, uh, an email here. Uh, Barbara says that my cat loves to play with squealing chipmunks. She's carried at least two that I know of into my house and dropped them while she saw me coming. Now, how can I find and get those tiny critters out of my house? I know there's at least one still alive somewhere because I can hear it at night. I notice food missing from my cat bowls, so I think it's eating cat food. It's a creepy thought while I'm sleeping. Oh, no, that reminds me so much. You remember the old cartoons? We know how destructive those chipmunks can be in the house. Yeah. yeah. So any thoughts on, I mean, it'd be difficult, I guess, to locate because I don't think they're going to be out in plain sight. Exactly. You need to get some kind of a cage. If you've got, if you can get a, you know, a live trap. Small, small yeah, live trap small would live be trap. good. Because they'll come uh, to food at night. I would think that probably the cat was lonely. Or <laughs> a companion. It's a joke. I'm sorry. Because the cat uh, has not killed the chipmunk. Right. And if you're going to try to trap them, <laughs> put the cat food up first so they'll get hungry right. and go to your trap. All right. Yeah. That's right. You need them hungry. Yeah. You, or, and you but, need that to be the only food that's out. And you need to put your cat up. They're very fast, too. Mm-hmm. It would be hard to. And if you try to catch them in a corner or something. Put some gloves on. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, good luck. But if you did, you, you, they do bite, certainly. And then again, a live trap is something that will trap the, the animal, but then you can bring them back outside and, and release them back into mm-hmm. the wild. Yeah, the door ha- is real sensitive, and it, it should shut when they go in there or when they grab the food. There are several different types. Yeah, most, most of the hardware stores like Ace or some of those would have a small live trap, like for a squirrel or Yeah, I think Rebel larger. has them, yeah. yeah. So uh, we're talking about uh, fireflies with our guest, Paul Hartfield. Paul, you mentioned that a firefly and a lightning bug are not the same thing. No, no, no. They are the same thing. Oh, they are the they're same thing. they're not mm-hmm. bugs or gotcha. flies. Okay. That's what I was saying. They're distinguished from other beetles and pretty much everything else by having – most species have a lantern, which is that little light that you see. Uh, that's a – a cold chemical light, that from what I understand, it puts out no heat at all. It's very efficient. Um, I think Libby knows a little bit more about that well, than Yeah, I do. we should be so efficient. It's, <laughs> it's all chemicals, and it's really more efficient than any of the light bulbs we make. Hmm. And, um, you know, they, they 
See that in their body. They need oxygen to make it happen, but um, there's several chemicals. I've got it all written down here. Yeah, if you're interested, she did a little research on that. Uh, The purpose of the light, uh, we used to think, was to advertise themselves as noxious. In other words, they taste bad. Because they also have another set of chemicals in their body that we've got some cool stories about that because some of them aren't born with it and have to get it. But similar to a monarch butterfly, you know, monarch tastes really bad to Mm -hmm. other things. And so the theory is that they have that bright orange color to Mm -hmm. warn birds and bats or whoever might. I guess bats won't probably get them. But with fireflies, I mean, think about it. You're flying around at night shining your light saying, here I am, here I am. And uh, and there are lots of spider webs out at night. So spiders and bats. any kind of birds that are out at night and bats. But they taste pretty bad to all three of those. There's still a problem with them getting tangled up in a spider web, even if the spider won't eat them. But um, at least they can deal with the... It, it, it cuts way down on the amount of predators that are willing to go after them because they, they remember they taste bad. Do they use the light in any way to communicate with each other? Yes. The, the main reason for the light probably now is believe is uh, for reproduction to attract mates to advertise and say, I'm, I'm one of you, I'm with you. Um, and that's what makes them really interesting to us because they have such a, a wide variety of different flash behaviors that you can distinguish the species based upon the flash behavior. So apparently it is more for reproduction than it is for avoidance of predators is what's generally believed now. But um, they they range from very quick flashes. Like I said, the first, the treetop or the flash bulb, it's just a, a quick flash repeated every four seconds. Um, let me just run them real quick through what we've seen this year. Okay. The second uh, thing that we started seeing about two weeks ago were um, ch- uh, something called Chinese lanterns. So you had up in the tops of the trees, you had the treetops flashing and then Chinese lanterns come along and they do a two-second continuous flash so it's like a streak of light a two-second streak of light with a three or four second pause between them and then following that we started seeing Cinco de Mayos which was really interesting because we were out on the Cuatro de Mayo (laughs) and looking for fireflies and all of a sudden we see these things that look like um, Chinese lanterns with a globe, but Libby says, wait a minute, they're flickering. Hmm. And they're a little bit faster, and they're they're usually angled. Kind of like a little, little flame. Yeah. It, it's really starting to be fireworks out there now. You know, if you've got three different kinds so going off. So your listeners know, you know, we've been communicating with Lynn Faust, the firefly lady, for quite a while. And in fact, Lynn's on her way now. She'll be around. We're going to do some firefly in the next couple weeks with her. But uh, called her up and said, what is this? Is this just another Chinese lantern? She said, no, it's a Cinco de Mayo. Well, you know, it was the 4th of May. We thought she was pulling our And when we called her, it actually was the 5th of May. I didn't believe her for a while until I picked the book up and said, she's not lying. It's true. (laughs) So we had Cinco de Mayo's with that flash. Um, We got another one that's. I can't really distinguish from the Chinese lantern called the Low Slow Glow. But I know I can see two different things there. Um, then uh, spring four flashers came along. That's where they do flash, 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 followed by a pause. So three or four quick flashes, a little faster, maybe a half-second span. And uh, 
then finally, let's see, is oh, the um, Big Dippers started coming out last week. And we were looking for those because they're usually out before our synchronous fireflies come out. So uh, sure enough, uh, one evening last week we saw, we, we love to watch the Big Dippers. You go out at dusk, look for a field that hasn't been mowed. You don't want a mowed field. And they'll climb up to the tops of the um, uh, grass, and they'll float up, and they'll glow. It's just a and continuous glow. it does look glow. like a little bubble It looks of like little light bubbles of up. light coming out of the field. They're wonderful to watch, and they're a good one for kids because it's right at dark. Question. And, yeah. Do both sexes flash? Yes. So, well, in some they do, yes. Mostly they do, but a lot of times the female will have a different flash. Okay. And she'll be sitting quite often. She'll be stationary, and a male comes by with the right flash, and she will respond to him, and then he comes to it. And particularly in these that you're talking about, when they percolate up, those um, I always call them a J stroke because they usually make a little mm-hmm. J. But um, the female is hiding in the grass, and her her flicker is very very dim. But when she sees a male that she likes, she'll give him a little sign. And you can, it's it's light enough, you know, there at dusk that you can, if you'll really pay attention, you can watch him get together there in the grass because he flies down pretty quick when he sees her light. And as the night goes on, they'll start doing that J behavior instead of the light bulb behavior out, yeah. you know, just at different levels. And then last week we started seeing our first... Uh, uh, snappies, but they were snappy solitaires. Snappy one here, one yeah, there. The synchronous fireflies. Yeah, the synchronous <laughs> ones. But uh, I called them at that day because we'd only find one at a time. We have one one out at our house for uh, three days, just a single firefly, and <laughs> all by himself. So I started calling them a snappy solitaire. <laughs> Got a couple calls on the line, so sure. let's uh, start again with uh, Frank in Meridian. Frank, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Yes, uh, I uh, have uh, two chihuahuas. And uh, one is about 14 years old, the other is about 8 years old. And the older one developed uh, cataracts over a period of time. The younger one developed them pretty quickly. At this point in time, though, they're both pretty much totally blind. And I was wondering about the feasibility of surgery and what something like that might cost and the success rate. Right. Great question. Uh it is a little strange to see an eight-year-old with cataracts or starting to have cataracts. There may be some underlying cause for that, uh, such as diabetes. I just throw that out. But uh, I would have a, a board-certified veterinary ophthalmologist look at those eyes. They could give you an estimate as far as whether or not it would be good chance of success. Sometimes... Uh, the cataract may not be mature enough or it may be too mature uh, to have good success. Uh, there is an uh, <coughs> ophthalmologist <coughs> excuse me, that, that comes to Jackson at the Animal Emergency and Referral Center. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, you could set up an appointment there. And there's a good ophthalmologist in Birmingham, I know. So... It would be good to have them checked out. As far as cost, I can't quote prices for them, but probably in the fifteen hundred to two thousand dollar range. Frank, (coughs) thanks for your call. Um, Let's move on. We've got uh, Lewis in Macomb on the line. Good morning, Lewis. Go ahead. Yes, uh, when I was younger, we used to fish the Homochita River, 
and we used to catch suckers all the time. If you you just catch a sucker, you didn't catch anything else. But lately, you don't see any suckers in the river. Uh, is that because the river is not as clean as it used to be? Uh, they should still be there. We still have a pretty good uh, population. There's several species of things that we call suckers. Um, red tails uh, uh, or black tail red horse, I believe, red is horse, a sucker. Red horse, And uh, uh, a few other things like that. But they should still be there. They don't. I'm trying to think they're not real prone to biting, um, you know, things like worms and things. You can catch them, but I have never caught one except in a uh, a sane. So net. A net, yeah. And they used to they used to have sucker runs up the rivers, and I think they snagged them more than they uh, used bait. They would throw out with a with a hook, treble hook, and snag them. Uh, if you, if you and that's not legal everywhere. Well, it's not legal everywhere, and I'm not sure it would really work sure. unless you had a run. You have to know where they are to for that to be productive at all. Yeah, and if you're going to snag, you definitely need to check with your um, conservation officer and make sure it's legal. All right, Lewis, we appreciate your call. Let's uh, get one call in before our first uh, next break, and that's our friend Sue in Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. Go ahead. How are y'all? Hey, I'd like to ask, uh, what, what do they, once they mate, what, where do they go? Do they fall to the ground and go underground? Do they make a cocoon, or wh- what do they do? And I'd like to ask another question, too. Has science tried to replicate the bioluminescence and see what they, I mean, could they replicate it to use it for any reason? Yes, there have been people that have tried to replicate that, and I think that's how we keep getting, um, yeah, those bioluminescence, like the little, almost, glow I guess sticks. how it translates, yeah, glow sticks and toys and things like that. There and are some emergency. Yeah, mm-hmm. there, uh, there's some kind of an emergency light that you snap and mix two kind of chemicals mm-hmm. together. And um, I'm not sure where the latest technology on LED lights and all that, but it's being attempted, so yes. And then after they mate, the female will lay eggs, and it's usually in the leaf litter. Some, I think there are a few species that can lay Put eggs on up leaves. on the leaves, yeah. but mostly they lay it in the leaf litter. And... Um, when the eggs hatch, there'll be a larvae, you know, like a, similar to a worm, a little bit thicker looking. And um, they're going to be down in the leaf litter, the very top layer of the dirt usually. And um, that's where they'll live for a year. At least a year, sometimes, some species two years. In cold places, they'll live for two years for sure. And, um, and they're so, predacious. Yes. So they're hunters when they're down there. They're going to be eating you know, small invertebrates. They may be. Uh, they may eat a little bit of plant matter too. But I think they're mostly carnivorous. Hmm. And but the neat thing, even the eggs glow a little bit. <laughs> so they already have those chemicals. You know, as soon as the egg is formed, and <clears throat> what we call glowworms. There are more than one thing called glowworms. Some some things that we call glowworms are not the larvae of firefly, but the larvae of firefly are called glowworms. We found a railroad worm not long ago hmm. that a lot of people call a firefly. It's not actually a firefly, and but it's in the book. Is it? It's it's a different type. Well, it's anyway. a different it's, different genus and different yeah. species. It is in in the same family in the same group as fireflies, and they do produce a glow, so you can't call it a firefly. But they have they're the only species that the larvae glows all down its body, which is why it's called a railroad worm because it's got two streaks, patches of luminescence that look like a little railroad track, and 
You can see them in the leaf litter. I, I spotted this one standing around looking up in the air and looked down at my feet and saw a glow and reached down, and there was a railroad worm. Hmm. They eat pretty much they specialize on millipedes. They're pretty big. Yeah, they're real big. They now, look like they could bite one. you. I don't know. This one didn't bite us, but when Paul gave it a millipede, Oh, I mean, it was a ferocious attack there. It was the millipede was twice the size. Of the, I was a little worried about it, but the firefly didn't have any, or the, the railroad worm didn't have any trouble with it. But in those, the I think the males don't flash, but the females do. They have they'll sit on a, a, a grass stem or something and emit a continuous glow. I believe um, very very faint continuous glow. You have to really watch for it. Kind of like the larvae, but um, they do have phosphor or the luminescence. So anyway, so the, I guess back to Sue's question: yeah. we the the larvae are in the leaf litter glowing. So you conceivably you can go and find those. I haven't looked at other times of year, but I guess I need to start doing mm-hmm. one more thing to add oh. to my fun <laughs> list of things to do is go through the leaf litter. Yeah, and a two week pupation. Uh, they'll they'll pupate for about a couple weeks before they emerge. They emerge as adults. They fly around. Some species will emerge all through the summer. Generally, it's not like a mayfly where they where they just mate and die. I don't know if they can mate multiple times, but the individual fireflies don't live that long. I don't believe some may. Some, what I've read is a, a week to four weeks. About four weeks would be the longest mm-hmm. that any individual would mm-hmm. live. They don't really eat as adults. They've, there's some talk that maybe they nibble a little bit on pollen. There's been some records of them eating a little bit of nectar. But mostly, for the most part, they do all their eating when they're a larvae. Yes, except for the femphatops. <gasps> yes. The genus Photurus, a species in that uh, genus, several species can mimic the the um, the light of other species. So they'll hang around, they'll see what's flashing, and then they'll mimic the response of the female. The male will come in to mate and she'll grab him and eat him. Mm. And the reason for this, this is really interesting too, why would one eat and none, none others do? It's because that, those species do not make the uh, noxious chemical that makes them taste bad. Mm. So what they do is they catch these other species that do, the female eats them, and then when she lays her eggs, she transfers that chemical to her eggs so that her eggs and larvae are then poisonous. But then when they emerge, they no longer have the chemical. Hmm. That's interesting. Hey, Sue, thanks for the call. Let's take another quick break. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with Paul Hartfield about uh, fireflies. So give us a call if you're interested in fireflies or if you have a pet question for Dr. Major. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and a state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell, here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield is retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Today we're talking about fireflies with Paul Hartfield from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. We've got some open phone lines. If you have a pet question or a question about fireflies or a wildlife question or observation, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one 672 You can email the show as well. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. 
So uh, we've talked about a number of different ones, and I think, Paul, you mentioned the, the Big Dippers, the Chinese lanterns, and then we talked a little bit about the synchronous ones. So the other species, is they're, they're just kind of randomly lighting on and off again, kind of looking for a mate, whereas the, the synchronous ones, it's whole groups of them that are kind of doing this in concert together. Yeah, this is this is really what we're here for. You know, this is what started us when we saw the synchronous displays a few years ago. We were totally blown away, had no idea that those things even occurred in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, it turns out they were the synchronous uh, behavior was discovered, quote-unquote, uh, in the 1990s in the Smoky Mountains, and that's a big display up there. It's a different species. So when we walked into our little woodlot and saw these masses of fireflies all synchronously flashing. It was quite a shock. Um, most fireflies, they're, they're individual. They're looking for their mate, and they do their own thing. All of the males do their own thing. But in the synchronous fireflies, for some strange reason, there's many theories, is they all flash at exactly the same time. If they can, and it's, and it's a sight-driven thing, so they have to be able to see each other. But when you get a mass emergence and you've got hundreds and even thousands of fireflies across the landscape, uh, each one can see each other next to each other, and that just kind of spreads so that the entire landscape will, will flash at one time. They also, they also form a layer about two or three feet above the ground, so they're not all over the place the way other fireflies might be, but they're in this nice layer of light about three feet off the ground. Yeah, and... One interesting thing, I guess, you go around our, they're on both sides of our Paul shop. And so on one side, you stand on one place, you can see them blinking this way, and then these are all on a different sink because they can't see each other. Mm-hmm. And then also, if there's a, there's a little slope, it's almost like a wave going through there. It's pretty neat. They're interesting to watch even if there aren't a whole bunch of them, but you don't really notice them blinking together unless there are a lot of them. Now, when we, you know, when we first came on, what we were interested in was to try to do this citizen science project and get people to call in. And we've had quite a number of calls from around the state and even out of state. Uh, so we're kind of updating our partners out there. Uh, we've now had uh, synchronous fireflies reported from as far south as uh, Louisiana and uh, just above the uh, uh, punch train, Covington, Louisiana, in fact and as far north as Tishomingo County. Uh, there's a real good, several real good populations uh, up around Oxford, Mississippi. Waldoxy uh, State Park is a great place to go if you're in north Mississippi. They're a couple weeks behind us, though. That's the other thing. These things come out at, at different times. The Covington population is done. They were about two weeks ago. Uh, ours started last week, uh, really started getting enough for synchronicity this week. We now have uh, dozens, if not hundreds, in our woodlot. Um, we have uh, colleagues or, or collaborators over around Madison that have been watching them for ever since we have, really. They, they immediately went out, and they see them. Uh, they started last night, I believe. We got a report mm-hmm. for them. After the first time we were on the air, mm-hmm. they called the next week and said, we've got them to yeah. you. And... This is really interesting because, I mean, it's just all at once. So you can't give up. If you go out once, you got to go again. <laughs> Wednesday or Tuesday or was it Monday night, Libby and I drove the trace 50 miles on a trace. We found, we saw one or two 
uh, synchronous solitaires, no no grouping of them, and it was real disappointing because we went south, thinking we had jumped the gun down there, and then a collaborator. We we went to a spot where another fella, um, Tom, had seen them in years past, and they weren't there either. Well, last night he reported them at his house. Did he report them from the trace last he night? He said not many, a few, but they were out. So, a matter of three days, you know, we were out there looking. They weren't there, and now they're beginning. So next week they should come out. We've got some phone calls on the line, so we'll start again in uh, Gulfport. James has called in today. Good morning, James. Go ahead. Uh, hi. I'm calling about a cat that I have that's had kittens. She's had four of them and has been nursing them now coming up three weeks on Saturday. And I'm concerned about when do I need to start feeding the kittens myself. Yes. And uh, and if you can tell me when, what do I feed them? Okay. How do I feed them? <laughs> okay. First of all, they're probably old enough that they're curious about food, uh, and I would suggest getting my suggestion would be a canned kitten food, commercial food. All right. And maybe put it in a saucer or whatever. They're going to get more on them <laughs> than in them initially. But yes. you'll find that a lot of times these kittens that age, three to four weeks, will literally act like they're fighting over the food. So they're probably about ready to start. Uh, the recommendation is that canned food initially probably is the best. The dry food, even if you wet it, has more grain or more particles and can cause some diarrhea and irritation to the young kitten's intestinal tract. So, All right. So I would say that, yes, they're ready if they're three weeks old or close, they'll be ready uh, soon to start eating. All right. Now, shall I just lay this on a, say, a saucer and let them walk through it? Well, I think so. And then, if you would, if the mother cat is not cleaning them, you need to take a damp cloth and clean this excess food off because a lot of times that will cake on them, then cause skin issues down the road. So. If you would kind of act as a surrogate, if you will, if the mother's not cleaning them well, to get the uh, food off of them. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that answers my question. I appreciate it very much. Well, best of luck to you with the kittens. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, James, uh, for your call. And yeah, a bunch of kittens in his house that he's going to have his hands full here in the next <laughs> yeah. couple of weeks. That's for sure. Let's move on. Next, we've got Brenda in Pascagoula. Good morning, Brenda. You're on the air. Hi. You're talking about the synchronous fireflies. I lived in Knoxville, Tennessee for 20 years, and they have a huge uh, synchronous firefly show up in the Smoky Mountains. It is absolutely gorgeous. Um, I'm wondering how, why they're in such a large group. Is it because of the forest vegetation or what? Okay. Yeah, they, I've never seen them anywhere but there, so I'm wondering. Okay. All right. First off, yeah, that is, um, for a while, those were the only known synchronous fireflies in North America. Now, these have been discovered down here. It's They're two different species, and mm-hmm. their, their blink is a little different, but they both do the synchronizing. Right. And, um you know, gosh, how to predict exactly where they will be. The Smokies are not the only place where you can find that species up there either, but that is the most abundant, and it's the best-known population. And since you've got those big blocks of wood 
there right. in the Smoky Mountains. The National Park is a wonderful place for them to be, and it's a safe, accessible place. You know, there are others on private land that aren't accessible for people to come and see. Right. And um, Lynn Faust, who is driving down now to Mississippi to see ours. She's and been listening com- to us, yes. we hope. Hey, Lynn. She is. I've got, yeah. But so she's, uh, you know, she's come down several times, and she's the one that first discovered them in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know about that, and she had found them in North Mississippi. And then when we talked about it on this radio show uh, three years ago, somebody told her about it. So she came down, and now we found many in Mississippi. So it's a little bit different, but uh, maybe at some time the Natchez Trace can be like the Smoky Mountains as far as a destination for people to come and watch them. We'll have right. to we'll have to find bigger populations, Brenda. But since you know what they look like, that would be you'd be a great person to get out and start looking. Well, I know they are gorgeous, and now they have a um, a lottery as to if you win, you can go up there. But mm. back when I went, it was just drive up. You yeah. Know. So yeah. that's it's one of the reasons popular. we really need to find some down here. They they're kind of at capacity up there. Yeah, and Lynn tells mm-hmm. us our displays down here are just as majestic as the Smoky Mountains. So right, we've... would they be as far as the Gulf Coast? Mississippi. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, because we uh, a guy's found him in Covington, and he's got really good displays. So oh, it, it's probably over, but uh, around the 1st of May next year, you ought to start uh-huh. looking. Right. And, I'll make a note. And remember now, after 9 o'clock and no lights on outside. And in the woods. In the woods, right. yeah. yeah. And if you, have, of yeah. If, you, if you have even a pin light on, you won't see them. Okay. Yeah, and that is we were talking about the theories of why they blink together. These have a, a fainter light when it's just one firefly, so they need to be in total darkness, and they really avoid any kind of yard lights. So moonlight. That's the first step. Is to yeah they they get in the shade when the moon <laughs> is full. All right, uh, Brenda, thanks for your call. Let's take one final break this hour. On the line, when we get back, we'll talk to Goldie, Rowena, and Kathy. And we can get your call as well at one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one 7464 We'll be back to wrap up the program after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Our guest today is Paul Hartfield from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and we have been talking about fireflies throughout the hour. We've got some calls on the line to get to. We'll start again in Loosedale. Goldie is on the line. Good morning. Go ahead, please. Good morning. First, I say I just love your show. I learned so much. Thank you. Right now, I rescued a dog, and um, I think he's got diabetes. When Dr. Majors mentioned that, I didn't know that dogs get diabetes, but he drinks an awful lot and uses the bathroom real frequently. Yes. So, is there? And I'm and I'm out of money because I had to have a leg set oh, me. and his hips fixed. Is there any kind of thing I could start to do diet-wise to help him before I can afford to go back to the vet? Yes. There are diets that may help. And, of course, the other thing would be that it may not just be diabetes. It could be something else other than diabetes, such as uh, kidney problems, 
Uh, how old is this dog? Do you know? He's a puppy. I, okay. I think because, okay. like, he was a rescue. I'm not sure. I think maybe five, six months. He's he's okay. huge. I think he's okay. pit bull and Pyrenees. Okay. His feet are as big as mine. Well, if know? he's drinking a lot and peeing a lot, uh, certainly that big, you're going to have some issues. However, since you mentioned that age, it would be awfully young. Uh, for him to have diabetes. It may be that it's just because he's a puppy. Uh, We see them uh, occasionally have an insatiable water appetite. I would suggest that maybe uh, if you're given a good quality puppy food uh, and offering him plenty of water, I think this may be transitory. Has it occurred all of a sudden, or has it been like that since you've had him? Started to really notice okay. because um, well, talk talk to your vet, talk to your vet about it, but I suspect that this is not diabetes based on his age. It could be, but I suspect that it's not. So, talk to your vet there and see what they say. Surely they will talk to you, uh, and you can kind of go from there. And best of luck. But I would continue <coughs> on what you're doing, and when you can afford to do it, get him in and have a test. They can uh, check uh, glucose level and uh, see see how, how that turns out. But I, I suspect that you're dealing with something other than diabetes. All right, okay. Goldie, thanks for the call. Let's move on next. Uh, Rowena has called in from Past Christian. Good morning. You're on the air. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I was having a question about fireflies. I live about five miles north of the beach and just north of Interstate 10. And uh, where I'm living out there, there are some security lights around. But um, And I just heard somebody say that you need to be where there's no light. Uh, but I've never seen fireflies in my area at all. And I'm, I'm not really – I'm in a housing area, but it's not close, close housing. Um, uh, 100 yards or 50 yards is the closest uh, homes there are to me. So I just wondered – do, is it really critical that you need to be out in the woods somewhere to see them? <laughs> the, the lights are just deadly to them. They, if there's a lot of security lighting that's on all the time, they're, they just they probably can't live there because they have to be able to signal each other to, to find a mate. Firefly, okay. Fireflies, like a lot of other things, are taking a, a real hit with increasing urbanization. Uh, the other yeah. problem that you may have down there along the coast is mosquito spraying, which will impact oh, the I adults and the larvae. That. And so we we get reports all the time. I mean, if you talk to old timers, they'll tell you how in their childhood there were fireflies everywhere, and there's none now. And yeah. um, in a way, it, it's true, but it's it's localized. So we're seeing decreases. We don't know how significant that is in terms of impacts to the species. There are some species that you can see in fairly bright light, like the Big Dippers, the things that come out right at dusk, before, probably even before those lights come on. So if oh. you get out and, and look for those, you'll, you'll be able to see a few things, but you definitely right. won't be able to see these synchronous fireflies. All right, Rowena, thanks for the call. Let's get one final call in, and it's uh, Kathy in Brandon. Good morning, Kathy. Go ahead, please. Hi. Um, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I actually live in Sand Hill, but uh, my husband just put up a purple martin house for us, and I'm just curious, is there anything we need to do to get them to come to this little house? 
You've done the most important thing about putting it up. It's a late, though. Um, you may have missed them this year. And uh, uh, I'm trying to think of really I, – I know usually people get those Martin houses out real early really? in the spring as they soon need, as they're coming through. They should be up in February, I believe. Yeah. So next year – I think I saw one this morning. I, I think I know there's distinct little um, little songs, but I'm just not sure. So I knew that like they would send us scouts, and um, I just didn't know if there was something special I needed to put out there for them. No, it, I, the only problem I see is that you getting it out in February is a better time. But if you, oh, okay, yeah, all right. All right, so look forward to them uh, for next year, Kathy. Thanks for your call. Uh, got about a minute left. How would you describe the color of the light of the fireflies? Well, that's good. There's all there's all kinds of colors. Young eyes see the colors. My old eyes don't. <laughs> and, um, I can see the green and yellow. <laughs> there's orange uh, species. In fact, some of the species are distinctive by their color. But again, I have a really difficult time. There's some kind of whitish uh, orange, green, bluish yeah. lights. The, the synchronous ones are going to be green. Um, oh, and oh, I guess I have to book. put a yeah a plug in. Uh, Fireflies, glowworms, and lightning bugs by Lynn Faust is a good book for you to field guide. Yeah, very good. Well, there aren't many books out there. Well, it's one of the best field really guides good. of anything. It's a really good ever field seen. guide. Yeah, and uh, so. It, it has a chart that helps you read the flashes, and you can figure it out based on the flashes and the color. All right. Uh, and also, if you happen to find some, uh, give us a, a notice at animals at mpbonline.org. That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio. Funding is provided in part by Wildlife Mississippi, a statewide organization celebrating its 20th year of conserving Mississippi's lands, waters, and wildlife. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener was Liz Gill. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest Paul Hartfield, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned. Up next, it's MPB's Season Pass with Jay White. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.